Well, I'm super excited for what God's going to do. And so we have been we have been talking about all in. Everybody say all in. We have been talking about all in, going all in for Jesus Christ and who he is. And so last week we had talked about prayer and this week we're going to continue that conversation on prayer. And my title for today is wrestling all night. Everybody say wrestling all night. Now, some of you might know exactly where I'm going with this. Some of you might have absolutely no idea. So we are going to dive in and we are going to look. I feel that there is a sense that God is wanting me to speak on prayer because I think it's, it's very undervalued in today's time. I think prayer is so undervalued of what it can do for us and in us if we know how to pray. Prayer is like a conduit. You know what a conduit is? It's like a pipe, right? Conduit. It's that straight pipeline straight to Jesus Christ. When we're speaking to God and we're proclaiming his name, Satan can't be there. And so when we have that, when we have this power to pray, it is a conduit straight to Christ. It's the way you lay hold the promises and blessings of God. And most people, whether they are religious or not, pray at some crucial time. How many of y'all have ever experienced this? A loved one passes away, something happened, and right after that you fall on your knees and you start praying. Why does this happen? So I have a couple questions. The first one is, where does this impulse come from? And how can we pray more effectively? We're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 32. And before I jump into Genesis 32, I want to set up the story for what we're going to be talking about today. So you go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 32. We're going to be looking at an Old Testament character who had profoundly shaping encounters with God and got their prayers answered. To see what we can learn about how we should pray, I want to bring this story to you. The story is about a man named Jacob. Everybody say Jacob. Hi. How are y'all? You weren't talking to me, were you? Nope. Genesis chapter 32 is the story of Jacob wrestling all night with a strange heavenly man of some kind. It's supposed to be, among other things, a picture of prayer. Everybody say prayer. But before we get into that, I want to set the background story. You see, Jacob had cheated his older twin brother named Esau. Everybody say Esau. Esau. He cheated Esau out of his inheritance. And in those days, the oldest son got the birthright. And the birthright back then was up to two-thirds of his father's wealth. And in this case of this family, it also meant he received the promises made to his grandfather, Abraham, that their family would bear the Messiah. So Esau and Jacob, although they are twins, were very, very different. I want to put a couple images in your mind today. Esau was known for being macho. He was a very, what the Bible says is he was a very hairy man, and he also liked to hunt. That was him, hairy, and he liked to hunt. So 
Think of a macho man, whether you're watching, whether you imagine a person watching UFC, maybe you think of Chuck Norris, maybe it's a character from Duck Dynasty, wherever it is, think of a macho man or hairy man, okay? But not an ape. Jacob, on the other hand, what the Bible tells us is he had smooth skin. He had very smooth skin and he loved to cook. Jacob loved to cook and he has smooth skin. So put this image in your mind. Jacob watched The Bachelor every week. He drove a Mini Cooper and he had a Pinterest account. That describes me so well. Uh, I shouldn't have done that. I drive a Honda Civic. <laughs> well, anyway, so one day when Jacob and Esau were teenagers, Esau had been out hunting. He came back and he was really, really hungry. And Jacob had just finished cooking a pot of stew. And Esau, as hungry as he was, asked his brother Jacob for some stew. Well, how many of us know some teenagers seem to have what we call a bottomless pit? Yeah, they love to eat. And when they get hungry, they become impulsive. And all they can think about is one thing, and that is what? Food. They only can think about food. So he was hungry. Think of that. Esau was hungry. Well, Jacob, being the younger brother that he is, and always looking at ways to get the upper hand with his older, hairier twin, told him, I'd trade you for something. I'll trade you something for it. And Esau, the teenager he was, said, like what? And Jacob's thinking, and he, th he thought to himself, he needs to start somewhere high. He needs to start somewhere high. How many of us know some salespeople that like to start some things high, or con people, right? Okay, that was Jacob. Very con-like, very deceiving. Jacob was that person. He would think of, well, I got to start somewhere high so I can at least get an iPod or iPad or Jordans or something. I got to get something out of this, okay? So he's thinking he's got to start somewhere high. So he starts somewhere extremely high. And because his brother's so hungry, he starts with his birthright. And he says, how about your birthright? Well, Esau, being a teenager and thinking impulsively, like many teenagers do, like many of us have, right? Concerned only about short-term gratification and not long-term effects of their decisions said, well... What good is my birthright if I die hungry this afternoon? So he said yes. And he gave up his birthright to him. So they traded. Well, a few years passed by. A few years passed by, and their dad, his name is Isaac. Everybody say Isaac. Isaac. He is about to die. Aww. Isaac, who probably doesn't know anything about the deal and prefers Esau to Jacob anyway, wants to formally confer the blessing onto Esau. So he asks Esau to go out and hunt him up some venison and prepare it for him, and then he will confer the blessing. So Esau leaves, and Jacob and his mom start to think they have an aha moment, they have a light bulb above their head, and say, here's our chance. Here's our chance. And so they pull some venison out, they get some venison, they dress Jacob up like Esau, 
And you see back then, Isaac at this time, at his old age, he had a hard time with seeing, and he couldn't hear that well either. So they put Jacob in Esau's clothes, strapped goat hair, they strapped goat hair on the back of his arms and upper neck, and then rubbed venison all over him. Not sure what that says about Esau. <laughs> does that put an image in your mind? So not only does he smell like him, not only does he look like him, but now he has to wear dead goat on the back of his arms and the back of his neck. And so once they are there, they send Jacob back in to feed the dad, Isaac, and receive the blessing. And somehow at this point, they pulled it off. Esau gets home. He finds out the blessing had already been bestowed and there is no renaging after a formal bestowal. Because, you know, back then in the Hebrew bestowal, they would raise their pinkies and say, hey, hey, no take backs. Okay. They didn't say that. But for whatever reason, for whatever reason, they couldn't take back. They couldn't change what has already been done. They couldn't switch back the blessing. And as you can imagine, as most of us would, if we're the older brother, if we're the younger brother, we're probably pretty happy, but you know, if we're the older brother, we would think that they would be pretty ticked off. They'd be pretty ticked off. And, and Esau was very ticked off. And he even said, I'll let my dad die and give the family a few days to mourn. And then I'm going to kill my brother. Jacob hears this. So what do you think Jacob does? He takes off and he leaves. He's gone for upwards of 30 years. But because he is pretty ingenious and crafty, he gets ahead and becomes really wealthy. And Jacob's name, one of the meanings is grasper. Grasper. And I thought, how can they remember what Jacob and his meaning meant by grasper? So the only thing I could think of is that when they were being bored, born, they were twins. So Esau was coming out and the person that Jacob was probably went out, grabbed Esau's heel and said, no, I want to be first. He was a grasper. So that was the way I could think of it. But his other name was also known as deceiver. Deceiver. So if you have a child named Jacob, I don't know why you would name him Jacob, because when you go and introduce him, you're going to say, oh, he's so cute. What's his name? Oh, his name's liar. Deceiver. Yeah, no. Right? But I'm going to tell you the reason what and why Jacob is so important. My mom's giving me a nod, guys. I'm going to need your prayers later. But somehow... During this time, God has started to work in Jacob's life. And after 30 years or so years, he appeared to him and tells him to return to the land of his fathers. And if he does, he, as in God, will be with him. And it says that in Genesis 31, verse 3. So Jacob obeys. But as he gets close to his home, where he hasn't even been for anywhere around 30 years, he starts to wonder what Esau is going to say. And then he gets word that Esau has come to meet him with 400 armed men, which is never a good sign, you know? Not 400 guys coming up to hug you, embrace you, right? And so Jacob, who is pretty wealthy, but forgot to bring his army, 
is now in despair. And in Genesis chapter 32, verse 27, it says, What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Which is kind of humorous to me because after you just fought with this person all night, you ask each other your name after the fact. I thought that was pretty humorous. But this guy is not asking his name because he doesn't know it. He wants Jacob to admit it. I, my name is Jacob, liar and deceiver. He's wanting him to admit, um, admit it. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 32, verse 9. It says, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. Do you hear what he's saying right there? He's holding up God's word in front of him. God, you said. But it continues in verse 10. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. And just in case you forgot, Esau is his brother. So Esau is his brother. For I fear him that he may come and attack me. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So pause right there. Second time. There are two times he holds God's word back up in front of him. God, you promised. But notice what he's praying for. He's praying for deliverance. God, get me out of this mess and don't let Esau kill me. Well, later that night, in verse 24, a man came and wrestled with Jacob until dawn. Verse 25 says, When the man saw that he couldn't win the match, he struck Jacob's hip and knocked it out of joint at the socket. Do you know how painful that could be? And not just like hitting him to pop it out. He just touched him and it's out of place. Okay, how many of you all have ever gotten a joint out of socket? Maybe a finger, your wrist, your elbow, your shoulder. Okay, your hip bone is the biggest joint in your body. And now it's out of place. It's just been ripped out of place by the touch of a person. Or by this man. Gotta say, this man got some kind of power. So in verse... 26, then the man said, let me go for it is dawn. But Jacob panted, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Which is, by the way, kind of interesting because Jacob, who we were just talking about, all that stuff with Esau being the macho man, and yet Jacob, his name meant what? Grasper. He held on, even with his socket out of place, even though he was in pain, he held on. Kind of impresses me about him. And verse 29, what is your name? Jacob asked him, why do you ask? The man replied. And at this point, I can just imagine that Jacob is asking this man for his name because one, he just touched me, my hip socket is out. And when I have my children and everything happens, I would like to tell him the story of who knocked me out and who I wrestled with. 
And the Bible, however, does not tell us exactly if the man told Jacob his name or not. But we do get this next phrase that is extremely important. Then the man blessed Jacob there. So multiple questions. Who is this man? Most theologians believe it is God. I think the strongest clue for that is in the next verse, in verse 30. Jacob named the place Peniel, which is face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. So then the question becomes, if Jacob is wrestling with God, how does God not win? How does God not win? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. We're going to come back to that. So write it down because we're going to come back. Because I want to finish this story before I track down that answer. Jacob is now with a new name. Goes to meet Esau. Somewhere as they approach, God changes Esau's heart. And when Esau sees his brother, he runs to embrace him. And they stand there weeping in each other's arms for a long time. Jacob goes on not only to be reconciled to his brother, but also to follow the Jewish nation. And one of the descendants would be Jesus Christ. Now, what is God trying to teach us through this story? I want to identify a couple of points that will tie it all back and together about prayer. Because the whole entire context of this whole story is prayer. This whole wrestling match comes about the midst, in the midst of Jacob praying. And it's a picture of prayer. So the first thing I want to point out is that the blessing of God are released into our lives through prayer. Think about that phrase I called your attention to in verse 29, where it says, the man blessed him. The man blessed him after Jacob held onto him and said, I won't let you go until you bless me. If you go back and read at the very beginning of the story, you find that God has already prophesied at Jacob's birth that the blessings would be his. But it was not until Jacob took it into prayer, wrestling match, that it really became his. He laid hold of the promise of God through a night of prayer. And the Bible, if you don't have it, I hope you brought it, because the Bible is full of promises. 3,000 of them. And I know some of them apply specific and to unique situations. But I also know Paul says that all the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. And every one of them is yes in Christ-centered way for me. When you have prayer nights, and I want you to take this to heart, when you have prayer nights, when you're reading your Bible, whether it's in the morning or through the night, I don't want you just to read through it, okay? I don't want you just to read through the Bible. I want you to pray through the Bible. I want you to pray as you go. So I have a question for you. Which blessings are unclaimed for you? 
What blessings are unclaimed for you? What blessings are unclaimed for your children? What blessings are unclaimed for your family, for your friends? And if you don't have a verse, I want to give you this verse to pray over your kids. If you have kids, grandkids, I want you to pray over this. If you don't have a verse that you pray over them, I want you to pray this verse over them. You're allowed to take it or find your own, but here's a verse. It's Psalm 127. Children are like arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior. Children are like arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior. And when you start saying that, and when you start praying, you can say something like this, God, you gave me these kids for the purpose of bringing them up to love and serve you. You said they were to be like arrows in your army of blessing and salvation. God, I usually feel like I don't have the foggiest idea what I'm doing as a parent sometimes. And I'm pretty much scared out of my mind. So God, give me the ability to do with our kids what you said you gave them for us for. But I don't want you to stop there for your kids. I want you to have a prayer for yourself. How many of y'all were here on Wednesday? Were y'all blessed on Wednesday by Teen Challenge coming? I'll tell you what, they, they did such a great job. And one thing they did when they all came up here, all the ladies came up here and they gave a verse. They gave a verse that they stand on. They gave a verse that they pray through. What verse in your life do you have that you pray through through difficult times when the enemy's got you down? What verse are you praying over your life? But don't stop there. What verse are you praying over your friends? What are you praying over your friends? Jacob in the first prayer held up God's promise to him twice. God, you promised. So I ask you, what promises have been left unclaimed for your family? Going through the holidays, that, now that we're past them, and it's crazy that they're, it's already gone. But I ran across this story. You know, 5.8 billion worth of gift cards go unclaimed. They're purchased, but they're unclaimed. 5.8 billion Benefits that have already been purchased, but never, un never, but left unclaimed. So I ask you, all the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. And surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. All 3,000 of them have been purchased for you. What unclaimed blessing is in your life? And you find it through the Bible. So go get them. Go get those blessings that have already been purchased by Jesus' blood. Sometimes the blessings of God are released in our lives through persistent prayer. Through persistent prayer. Jesus once said that prayer is like an old, poor widow who needed justice on something but couldn't get the judge to pay attention to her because she's poor and couldn't afford a lawyer or bribe him. So what does she do? She goes to his house day and night and wears him down through her complaining. 
Whenever he's trying to sleep, she's right there. Hello, did you forget me? Every time he goes in or out, it's like her coming and saying, Hey, have you had a chance to look at that thing I was talking to you about? And finally, he says to himself, and these are his words, not mine. I don't care a thing about this woman or justice, but this woman has flat worn me down. So I'll give her what she asks. Then Jesus says, that's what prayer is like sometimes. And you know, that's one of those stories I'm glad that I didn't have to tell. I'm glad Jesus was the one that told that. And what he's trying to say, I mean, God clearly, not, what is he trying to say? God is clearly not someone who doesn't love us or care about justice. The cross shows that he does. He's trying to say that praying often feels like that. God can appear hostile and indifferent and uncaring to us sometimes. How many of y'all have ever experienced that? You start asking God, where are you? What is going on? Why is this happening to me? Listen to what Martin Luther says. And this is, this is so good. Luther says, it's to see the strength of our faith in his goodness. Will we press through? Luther says, what looks like hostility is to see the rushing river of God's goodness that runs underneath. Like a child trying to push against the hand of a parent. like a child trying to push against the hand of a parent. The parent gives only enough resistance to test the resolve of the child. So God resists us in prayer to see our resolve in his goodness. Luther, pointing to the story of Jacob, says, we should try to catch Christ in his own words. God, why aren't you doing this? You promised. You see, God, God being distant or uncaring is just an illusion. So pray through. There it is. So press through. Do you feel like he doesn't care about your broken marriage, your unsaved husband, your wayward child, your lost friends? Press through. If you push with persistence and get past the resistance, okay, I want, I want you to hear this. If you push with persistence and get past the resistance, what you'll find is not indifference. What you'll find is the benevolence of his eminence. Never doubt God's goodness. Never doubt his goodness. There's so much grace that flows off of his table. 
That even if you only had, if you only the worthiness of a dog, there's enough for you. And that's what the woman said. And Jesus said, that's the kind of faith that gets my attention. The compassion of God is measured by the cross and his power for your situation. And for your situation is measured by his resurrection. He can help you and he will help you. To get the victory, you have to be willing to press through. Praying is no different. Prayer is no different. There are some things God gives only through persistence. Like a child trying to push against the hand of a parent. The parent gives only enough resistance to test the resolve of the child. So God resists us in prayer to see our resolve in his goodness. So here's my question. Does the judge know you? If the judge who cares nothing about justice or poor widows would be moved by your relentless asking, surely the judge who loved you so much that he paid your debt of justice himself will hear you when you pray. So don't give up. Press through. He might be ready to give what you're asking for. So don't give up. I pointed out that when you, when the guys, when the guy asks Jacob what his name is, the point is that he doesn't know Jacob's name. Of course he does. He wants Jacob to admit it. My name is Jacob, a liar. When Jacob had taken the venison to his daddy, his daddy had asked him what his name was. And he lied and said, my name is Esau. Now he tells the truth. My name is Jacob and I'm a deceiver. I've tried all my life to obtain these blessings for myself by my own manipulative ways. Now I'm repenting. And so God gave him a new name, Israel, which speaks of God giving the blessing, not Jacob wrestling it for himself. And this blessing God gives is going to be so far beyond anything Jacob had sought for himself. Jacob's new name, Israel, is going to appear nearly 1,800 times in the Bible. And is going to include blessings beyond anything his mind could fathom. Not just for him, but for the whole world. And some of you have spent all your life striving, deceiving, wrestling, worrying to get some type of blessing. The blessing you are searching is not going to come from those things. It's going to come from by submitting. Winning the blessing comes by losing to God. This is what the story teaches us. For the rest of Jacob's life, he's going to limp 
on his torn hip socket, reminding him that winning the blessing came from losing to God. So are you ready to have your life turned upside down? Are you ready to lose? Has God had to tear your hip socket apart to show you that? In James chapter 4, verse 2, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. God is himself. God is himself the blessing that we all seek. Notice that at the end of this encounter, God does not say, Jacob, okay, everything will be fine. Go meet Esau. No, God simply says, go. I am with you. I am with you. There is no promise at this point that Jacob will live through the encounter meeting his brother Esau. In fact, God had made him limp now, so now it's even impossible for Jacob to even try to run away. But what God assured to Jacob in this wrestling encounter is his personal presence. His personal presence. Jacob got the restoration of relationships, a blessing that was greater than earthly blessings. So whatever you're searching for, do you know it can't be, it can't replace God? Do you know it can't replace God? God sometimes withholds that blessing that you seek from you to teach you that. A relationship with God is better than any of his blessings. That's what emerges from the night of wrestling. Because we're going through our 21-day prayer, I'm going to ask Brother Albert and Miss Sandy to come, and they're going to be up here, and they're going to want to pray with you. Because we've got to press through. Whatever is going on in your life, Whatever relationship is going on, whether it's your spouse, whether it's a family member, it doesn't matter. We've got to press through. We have to press through. And so I want to create a time of prayer. I want to create a time for our prayer team to come and say, I'm here with you. I'm going to stand beside you. I'm not going to go tell so-and-so what's going on. I'm not going to tell them what's happening. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to stand here with you, and I'm going to press through with you. We are going to push this together. We can't do it alone. So, Miss Sandy and Brother Albert, would you all just come right here? And while they come up, I want to tell you a very, very quick and short story. There was a dad, he was a pastor trying to reach a small village. Rottle, his son, said when he was about 13 years old, there was a situation in which there was no food on the table. 
And they sat down to thank God one night for dinner with literally nothing on the table. Rottle said, I felt so weird and mad. There was literally nothing on the table as we prayed. He said about 20 minutes later, there was a knock at the door. They went over and answered it. And there was a lady standing there with groceries saying, I had a sense that you might need this. Rottle then said, Rottle went on to be a missionary. And he, as he grew up, he said, I was so hungry. I was so hungry, but I couldn't even remember what we ate that night. The reward was not the food. It was learning that we could depend on God. That's what the story tells us. God knows and he hears. We've just got to press through. We just have to press through. So I asked Pastor Charity to sing this and play this song. And as she does, as she begins to sing, if that's you, if you're needing prayer for anything, would you come meet one of the prayer team and let them stand beside you and pray with you? Can we all stand and worship him? And if that's you, as she sings, I want you to come and get prayer. Thank you.